You are listening to the light of today with the powerful, life-changing Word of Christ that heals, delivers, transforms, and fills you with the Holy Spirit. Let God's truth burst forth into your heart. Stay tuned to the light of today with Chris Palmer. If you have your Bibles tonight, go with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And I believe that tonight is going to change your life, cause you to appreciate what Jesus did for you all the more. How many know that this is uh, after Friday, we're going to go into what we call Thanksgiving, right? Mm -hmm. We're the only country, first country that ever took time to pass a holiday where we give thanks. But you can't truly give thanks for something until you know why you're giving thanks for it. People say, well, this is Thanksgiving. You're going to get a turkey. You're going to get a pumpkin pie. and going to get, uh, you know, all the things. But you can't give thanks for that until you realize why we're giving thanks. Why this country is something to be thankful for, right? And so if it's with our country, how much more uh, it is with what Jesus Christ has done for us. Come on, guys. This is a Pentecostal church. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about something you may not have heard. I was talking to Sister Della back there, and she said, What are you preaching on tonight? I said, I'm preaching on sin. She said, Sin? I said, Yeah. When was the last time you heard a message on sin? Sin? Now, we don't even want to say that word in church anymore. Sin? What are you calling me a sinner? People looking at me. Well, you're not telling me I'm a sinner tonight. I'm not going to tell you you're a sinner if you're not a sinner. But I think it's something that we need to talk about and discuss because if you don't understand how treacherous and how uh, empty sin is, hello, then you can't appreciate salvation. Okay, you ready for this? I'm ready to run. I'm going to run without, without you. Amen. Hebrew, okay. Damar, with a A. With a A. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, talking about Jesus, Hebrews was written to the church at Rome by an unknown author who decided that he wanted to remain anonymous. Many people think it's Paul. Many people don't think it's Paul. Whoever is writing wanted the community at Rome who were Jews to know that whatever you're thinking about going back into, Jesus Christ is better. Someone say, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. So in your life, He's better than wealth. He's better than riches. He's better than whatever it is that you have. Jesus is better. Say, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And then he starts laying out some very heavy, thick doctrine here. And he says in verse number 3, According to this Jesus that we serve, who be in the brightness of His glory. See, this is the Jesus that we preach. You know, people go on and say, Well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is just a teacher. No, 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 no. There are many Jesus people who are preaching today. And people say, what Jesus do you preach? I always take them to Hebrews chapter 1 and say he has to meet all of these qualifications. If he doesn't meet all these qualifications, he's not the Jesus that the apostles were telling us to preach. And the reason people don't want to go on television many times, not everybody, but many times, and talk to you about this Jesus is because it's offensive to many people. Someone say offensive. Okay. You're not supposed to go out there and just start offending people and being, you know, uh, malignant in the way you attack people. You're supposed to be tactful and be led of the Holy Ghost and be led by the Spirit. But in no way are you ever supposed to veil and mask the truth of God's Word. And this is uh, verse number two. It says, well, let's do number two. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So what constitutes the last days? 
people say well, we're in the last days today because there's nuclear weapons being fired and because you know Israel's at war with its enemies that's been happening Israel's been at war ever since they were instituted as a nation before 1948 what causes this to be the last days according to the New Testament is not because of all the tragedy that's going on in the world it's not because there's blood moons everywhere you look the reason this is the last days by definition in the New Testament is because God has now spoken to us by His Son. When God chose to speak to His people through His Son, God said, this is the last way I'm going to speak to my people. First He spoke to them face to face as a man in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament, in the Garden of Eden. Then He started speaking to them by their conscience. Then He talked to Abraham personally as a nation, gave him the law. After He gave him the law, He started sending judges and the prophets. After He gave him the prophets, He was silent. And then He says, I'm going to speak to them one last way, and I'm going to give to them my Son. And when my Son speaks to them, that is the last way that I'm going to approach mankind before I come back and wrap this thing up so we're not living in the last days isn't that exciting it's not going to get any better than Jesus Amen. and then he says this whom he hath appointed heir of all things you mean Jesus is heir of all things absolutely you mean he's the highest power absolutely you mean that all the other false religions are not the highest power absolutely come on smile tonight we're just barely scratching the surface who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had purged our sins himself. So when you introduce Jesus, do you know what you're telling people when you say Jesus? The one thing that Jesus did is that he purged your sins. So when you tell people and you introduce them to Jesus, the very first thing that you're telling them is that you have a sin problem. You have a sin problem. And you go on television and you start preaching the Jesus of the Bible, it becomes offensive to people. Because many people today do not want to accept the fact that you were born into sin. And that you have a sin problem and unless something changes in your life you are going to eternally be separated from God don't go on Oprah and tell her you have a sin problem that needs to be dealt with don't go on to the universities and say you know what I believe that we have a sin problem they'll say no 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 we don't want to believe that we have a sin problem we don't want to believe that we have an issue don't talk to us about that sin problem but write this down if you're taking notes the world despises Jesus for this reason this is why the world despises Christmas this is why yesterday at Starbucks it wasn't the Christmas meeting they're having it is the holiday meeting they're having hello can I go here tonight I don't see any uh, Muslims in here tonight amen that's gonna okay you mention Christ you have to take Christ with sin and you start talking about Christmas you're talking to say that Jesus came into the earth because you had something wrong with you and people do not want to hear that. And the reason they disrespect and don't like Jesus is because prescribing Jesus to somebody and saying you need Jesus is diagnosing that they have a sin problem. And people don't want to be diagnosed in sin. So write this down if you're taking notes tonight. In other words, People see no need for Jesus because they do not see 
that they have a problem with sin. So, the need for Jesus. You say, I need Jesus. You recognize that you need Jesus second after recognizing that you've got a problem with sin that cannot be solved without Jesus. There's a belief today. The religion of Europe and the religion of America is called secular humanism. Hello, people here tonight. You say, what is secular humanism? It's a big word. It's a, it's a, you know, something you hear. Write this down. You're taking notes. Secular humanism is this belief. A belief that human beings are capable of being ethical and moral without religion or God. It does not assume that humans are inherently evil. Nor does it assume that humans are inherently good. We just are. And secular humanism believes this. We are all born one way or the other. By evolution, we all evolved into this problem. And we are given all a set of circumstances and situations. Maybe, uh, you know, you were born in Iran, you have your set of problems. I was born in America, I have my set of problems. Maybe you were born in China, you have your set of problems. And through human philosophy, and through reasoning, and through evolutionary ethics, and through utilitarianism, we can figure this whole thing out ourselves. But you know what? Don't tell me that I need Jesus. Don't tell me that I need religion. Don't tell me that I need anything because I was not born with a problem. How many of you have seen this today? So we don't want to celebrate holidays. You want Easter? Go ahead and celebrate your culture and your custom. You want to talk about the resurrection of the Lord? Go celebrate it. But that's just cultural and nobody truly needs it. Because the world today... Hello, are people here? This is good. Jordan, give me some cheers. I'm just teasing. <laughs> because the world today does not want to believe they have a sin problem. Okay? So in pursuit of understanding Jesus, we have to begin with understanding sin. Now, I want to talk to you tonight about salvation. I said, you know, I'm going to talk to them about salvation. Started pushing, putting the lesson together, and I thought, can I skip over sin? Because next week I'm going to talk to you about salvation. So you have to know this, okay? All right. Write this down if you're taking notes, the definition of sin. Are you ready to run tonight? Someone said, you're going to preach sin, it's going to get heavy in this place. I said, the whole Bible talks about sin. You read the Romans, you're like, wow, this is a lot to do with sin. I can't avoid it. But someone say, I'm dead to sin and alive in Christ. Say, I'm dead to sin and alive in Christ. Okay, that's the end of it. But let's find out what we died to so we can know what we live unto. How about that tonight? Let's find out what we put down so we know what we took up. Is that okay? Because my dad, in order for me to appreciate living in a good area of town, do you know what he used to do? Every Thanksgiving, every now and then, sometimes on Saturday, he says, you know where we're going? We're going to a bad area of town. Why are we going to the bad area of town? We're going to go find people that are less fortunate than you. So you can see that when people are less fortunate, you could have had these circumstances in your life. So he would take me down, we would have bags of clothes and all sorts of things. We would go down there and we would see the less fortunate, or what he called them, the poor people. Let's go see the poor people. And when he would take me to see the poor people, let me tell you what the benefit of that was. Number one, we had compassion on the poor people. We wanted to help the poor people. That means when you understand the treachery of sin,
and you understand its problem in the earth and you see the devastation it brings into people's lives and you see how God despises sin and cannot stand it in your life you will say I need to get people out of sin I need to be used by God to reach the world and help people we pull from the doldrums and caverns of darkness that you're not living in because you know how much God does not like it and how it displeases him amen and let me tell you what we didn't do we didn't say, well, they're in sin, they're, they're, they're less fortunate people. And I'm a good fortunate person. I have a big house, my family comes a big house, they got a small house. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to that side of town and get a small house and live poor with them. That's not what we did. People see sin sometimes, they say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to live like the sinner lives. I'm going to be poor, I'm going to be needy, I'm going to be broke down. That's not what God called you to do. God called you to live higher in life. Amen. God called you to live in, 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 in right of his son as a king, as someone that has authority. Amen. So it's going to cause us to want to help these people. Oh, Jordan, I don't know, man. Okay, write this down. This is the definition of sin. Okay. Sin is any failure, any failure to conform to the moral law of God. An act, in act, in attitude, and in nature. So, with that said, being disobedient to God is not just a problem with your actions. It is also a matter of the sins of the heart and the offense committed within. So, I'm going to give you scriptures. You write them down. I can't go to all of them tonight. So, number one, an action transgressing the law of God. This would be coveting something, wanting it so bad. It's maybe stealing something. You see a Corvette. You know, people do this. They go and take the tires off the Corvette, right? Mm -hmm. You see a car, it's on, you walk down the street and you see a car on block. You know what that tells you? Someone was sinning last night when they stole those rims. Right? You see someone walking into Ram's Horn at 2 o'clock in the morning, stumbling, drunk, acting crazy, smoke, alcohol over their breath. You know what that means? Somebody just transgressed the moral law of God. Somebody has sinned. Amen? But there's also another area of sin, and that is sin that comes from the heart. These are things like lust. Things that you don't necessarily commit externally, but things that you commit internally. Some people think, well, you know, I did something sin. Jesus says, he that looks on a woman in his own heart to lust after her. That means, that doesn't mean you're sitting at your desk one day and you have to rebuke an impure thought. You're carnal people. You're made of the flesh. You'll have those thoughts. It means that you engage the thought yourself with intent to dwell on that thought. You're just sitting there and all of a sudden, oh God, I'm sorry for having that lustful thought. No, 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 no. That's when you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a lustful thought. And you have your own intent to engage and bring the thought to you. You understand what I'm saying? That shows that there is an issue of the heart. And this is sinning against God. Are we ready to go tonight? I'm going to teach you some stuff. And although sin is committed in action and attitude within, the Bible teaches the reason this happens. The reason why you do not have to teach a baby to uh, steal. He just does it. My baby nephew. I saw him before I came here. You know what he tells me sometimes? Shut up. I said, no, 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 no. 
I don't care how cute you are. <laughs> You're not going to talk to uncle that way. Do you know why? Because I'm your uncle and you don't tell me to shut up. Amen. And you get a spanking. He told me the other day uh, when I got home uh, from a trip, I said, said, Michael, it's so good to see you. He said, I'm going to cut your head off. I said, you're going to cut my head off. I said, I told his daddy, I said, you better take care. You better spank this child. Right? Natalie knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> You're going to cut. Where is he learning this from? Why does a kid say this? Why do you not? He's never said to me, you know, super nice. He says things, and because he's born, cute as he is, he's born in his heart with a sin nature. So, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Let me show you this. Okay, I'm just warming up. We're going to get into some good stuff tonight. The best part is the end, so stay to the end. Touch your neighbor and say, stay to the end. I don't want people to say, oh, he talked about sin tonight. It was boring. I want to come next week. No, 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 no. Because when I know what Jesus did for me, I can go to church and say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. I go to church and say, God, thank you that you pulled me out of my sinful nature. Thank you that I no longer have that thing that I'm in. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I was by nature a child of wrath, but you saved me. Ephesians 2 verse 3 among whom also we had our conversation that means lifestyle in times past in the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature by nature by nature not children of promise look at this you were by your nature not child of inheritance are you seeing this? This is ironic language. This is language running contrary to what he's about to tell them. You were by nature, by your birth, not because you did anything, what you were born into, nature, a child of God's anger, God's displeasure, and God's wrath. Do you see how this runs parallel to what the world tells us today? The world says, well, you know, you have problems, just fix them. Education, philosophy, no, 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 no. This is where we differ. Yeah. This is why your Jesus cannot be my Jesus. Because my Jesus came because I had a sin problem. Amen? Amen. And this nature, the essence of sin, some people say is selfishness. I'd say that's a bad definition. Lots of sin is committed out of selfishness, but Selfishness is, I don't want to say in the sense that we use selfishness, but there's some things you do for yourself that's good. I trimmed my nails last night. <laughs> that's my, I, that's me giving me something. I trimmed my nails. I bought myself this coat this week. Nothing wrong with that. I do things for me all the time. And God's like, you better get yourself a new coat. Don't come in with holes looking like God's poor broke servant. Amen? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Someone said, the preachers have holes in their shoes. You don't listen to people that have holes in their shoes. <laughs> right? How'd you feel if a vacuum cleaner salesman comes to the door and says, you know what, brother? This vacuum cleaner is the best. This, look at this thing, how it does. And you look and his pants have got holes in it. And he's got, you can see his toes hanging out from his shoes. And the heel on his shoe is flopping around. You'd say, if he doesn't sell much of these, they must not work. <laughs> Otherwise, he could buy shoes for himself. Are you not supposed to be poor? I don't act that way. Well, the New Testament church was poor. That's because they were going through persecution. They couldn't acquire property. So, another lesson. So, the essence of sin is lawlessness. 
that means that there is a propensity inside of human beings to want to break the law of God. They just say, I want to break the law. Where is this law written? Well, for Jews, it was the law of Moses. But for Gentiles, and even for Jews, this law was written inside of people's conscience. Romans 2.15. Don't want to go there. So, you have a law in your conscience, even a sinner. Someone that does not know God has a natural instinct to know right from wrong. Someone said to me, why you don't do this? Why? I said, listen, I believe that there is good and evil in this world. There is right and there is wrong, and the line of gray is very small for me. I don't see grays. I see blacks and I see whites. Amen? Amen. And you don't break God's law, but people want to break it. And so, uh, people that are born just by conscience, conscious, know, you know what? I probably shouldn't fornicate. There will be consequences to fornicating. They say, they get into witchcraft, they know, you know what, I shouldn't be getting into witchcraft. Ask anybody who's ever got into that stuff. They will tell you, even if they were not churched, that something told me not to do this. Because it is in the mind of a fair God that even though they're born into sin, they still have a law written in their hearts. They still have something that is telling them this is wrong. Hello, are you here tonight? And so they say, I'm going to rebel against the law of God that's in my heart. And God says, you're guilty. Because you are lawless. Are you here tonight, church? Okay. So where does sin originate from? Genesis chapter 3. How many don't know the story of Adam and Eve? That means I don't have to tell it. Amen? Genesis chapter 3. The first thing we need to understand about God is God did not originate sin. Is this boring to you tonight? No. no. This is interesting. It's good stuff. Thank you, Sean. My man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't care how bad your team is in fantasy football. Just you. <laughs> Mine's worse. <laughs> I'm just you. God did not originate sin. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. I'll show you. God didn't create sin. Someone say, did God create sin? No, no, He didn't. Did God desire sin? No, He didn't desire sin. Deuteronomy 32. He is the rock. He is work is perfect. Someone say perfect. perfect. For all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right, just and right is he. Proverbs 34:10 echoes the same thought that God is perfectly holy. God is perfectly good. God is perfectly uh, without sin. There is a belief today that is called dualism. Dualism means this: that in order for there to be good, there has to be bad. Have you heard this before? Yes. You may have not heard it called dualism. But you see this in culture every single day. And it is indictment on the sovereignty and holiness of God. This is what I mean. They say, well, it's called interdependence. So for there to be good, it depends on there being bad. 
And for there to be bad, it depends on there being good. If there was all good, there couldn't, there, there, it couldn't happen that way. It has to be both. You see this in the yin-yang. You ever see a yin-yang before? In every bad, there's good. In every good, there's bad. They believe that there's dualistic of nature, that it has to be dependent upon itself. And let me tell you why this is a problem. Because if you believe in this, are you here tonight? If you believe in this, this is going against God's sovereignty when God says, I, the Lord, am one. I am that I am. Before there was evil, there was God. Before any evil existed, there was Yahweh. There was Jehovah. Are you here? Before anybody had ever rebelled, God didn't depend upon evil to exist. He was holy from the beginning. He was righteous from the beginning. He was all-powerful and self-existent from the beginning. And there's no evil. God won't need evil to exist because He is. He is holy. Doesn't need evil to exist. Some people say, well, there's good this thing. There's... See, we see this, you know, you also see this in society. You see people relegating Jesus to a crime fighter and an action figure and a superhero. Well, you know, Jesus is my Superman. No, 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 let me tell you this. Jesus is not out there trying to fight sin and crime. Jesus is not out there trying to stop the bad guys. And when we don't know more bad guys, we don't need Jesus. He's not Spider-Man and Superman. He's not the Incredible Hulk and he's not the Mega Man or whatever. The Iron Man, right? He is a self-existent, eternally holy God who decided to turn his face in his righteous kindness to his holy, to his degraded people to save you from sin. And when that is over, he still is holy. Eternally self-existent, without sin, no need for wickedness for him to exist and he changes not. My God, you know how powerful this God is that I serve. Don't need sin. So people say, well, you know, God plans sin, brother, for his glory. For his glory? He plans sin? What's he need sin for to be more He doesn't need to improve on his glory. God just got to, you know, have it. He just wants to be, get some attention. So he created sin to show people how powerful he is. No, he created people to show how people, how loving he is. Are you receiving something tonight? I know I am. <laughs> okay. So why did Adam, this is his theology. I don't want to get into this too much. Tonight. Why did Adam and Eve sin? Do you ever wonder why they did that? Why is it in the Garden of Eden? Are you guys okay with the temperature in here? Are you okay? Temperature okay? Okay. Why is it that Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God said, don't touch this tree. You see all those trees over there? They say, yeah, God, I see that tree. You got oranges, got pineapples, got mangoes. I don't know what they had. They had super fruit back then. Who knows what fruit they had in the Garden of Eden? They had some good stuff, though. And God says, you see this tree right here? Adam said, yes, Lord, I see it. Don't touch it. Okay? Don't touch that tree. Now, Eve was not present when she told that to Adam. Adam was there. But we can safely assume that Adam would have told Eve, Eve, come here. I love you, baby. You're wonderful. You're the most beautiful thing to me. And you're so beautiful. And we're going to build and be fruitful. And we're going to multiply. And we're going to replenish the earth. But I don't want anything bad happening to us. Now, I don't know why Jehovah told this to us. I don't know why Creator said this. I don't know why, I don't know what the Lord said. He said, do not touch that tree. And all of a sudden, Adam comes one day, and he sees Eve talking to a serpent. She's eating the apple, or whatever it was. Plum, I don't know what it was. Usually we see it as an apple, right? 
But be here when I talk about how to study the Bible, because I'm going to talk about how we call it an apple. That's pre-understand. It's going to be a good, it's going to be a good class. Don't miss it. And you say, why did she do that? And you know what she does? She gives it to Adam. And Adam starts eating it. Why? This is why they did it. The only explanation for it is because, write this down, sin is irrational. There is, this, this is so powerful. There is never any intelligent reason to disobey God. If you think it through to the end, and you exclude the pleasure that you're going to get at the moment, there is never any good reason to disobey God. The next time temptation comes, I say, people say, how do you handle temptation? I say, two things. Number one, you say and ask yourself, what spirit is behind the temptation? And number two, you say, God, show me the end of this act. And he will show you this is lust trying to get you to cheat on your wife. And you say, show me the end. And you will see misery and torment and fear. Amen. Amen. You say, Lord, show me the consequences. And you know what you'll realize real quick? There's never any reason to disobey God. The other day, two weeks ago, it was Friday. No, 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 three weeks ago, somebody did something to me. Okay? Downright made me mad. Shouldn't have done it to me. And inside, I got so mad. You ever feel that way? You know, when somebody says something about you, just, why did they say that about me? Your blood starts to boil. Oh, and you start to think. And the very first thing you want to do is react irrationally. you so mad. You know what I said to myself? No, 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 no. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait. You wanna like bite through, you know, your nails. You just bite your nails, bite your nails. And the Spirit of God says, wait. Let me work it out. I say, God, you wanna understand? Don't you go in there and start saying all that stuff that your mind is trying to tell you to say. Don't say that stuff. I was ready to call the person and say, Jesus, Reverend Palmer. <laughs> they see a side of me they never knew existed, amen? My brother knows it exists, but they don't know it exists. <laughs> I say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait. So I waited, and I waited, and I waited. I waited three long days. And guess what happened? It worked itself out. And never had to get involved in a big mess. And you know what I was able to retain? My dignity and my peace. Amen. So you see that all sin is irrational. And all sin is foolish. Are you here tonight? Is this good? Is this okay? I worked on this one. We're gonna get. We're gonna get good. We're gonna get. We're gonna start. We're gonna break apart some questions tonight and show you how it applies to your life. So, in your life, when sin comes along, don't make the same mistake that Adam and Eve made, and that is become irrational. You try to talk to someone that's irrational. Let me tell you where you find irrational people in the psych wards. Highly irrational. You cannot go in the sight work and just minister to somebody. I trained him how to go in the sight work. When I trained me and Brett talked about going in the sight work, you find out you cannot reason with these people. It's either do what I say or it's leaving. 
because you can't mess with people because talking to someone rational it makes no sense. You can't count parents. You cannot compromise with a child because a child does not understand what you're trying to argue with them. Do you understand what I mean? You cannot say to your four-year-old, you know what? I'll tell you what. You go to bed early tonight and uh, I do this for you. Don't do it. You, see, you go to bed early tonight and that's it. Don't try and compromise with those kids because they do not understand everything that's behind it. Amen. Okay, you got that. Sins are rational. So this is what happened. Go with me to Romans chapter 5. I want to show this to you. This is where it starts to become really sticky. This is where the tragedy of sin starts to kick in. Are you here tonight? Are you enjoying this? This is like Theology 101. You say, why are you teaching this? Because I want people that want to go with me where I'm going, into the things of God, to understand these things, to be sharp. Amen. Amen. It says in verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world. How many men did sin enter in the world by? One man. One man. Sin came in the world. And look what came by sin. Death. By sin. So death passed upon all men, for all people have sinned. Someone say amen. amen. Then it says here in verse number 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgressions, who is the figure of them to come. So this is what happened. Adam, in the original sin, it wasn't eating an apple. It was rebellion and disobedience. When Adam rebelled and he disobeyed, there is something that people believe in. It's called inherited guilt. That means that when Adam disobeyed, he stood before God as guilty. Hello? Yes. God in his foreknowledge looked down the road and he saw, so we're going to see this in a second, that because of that sin, that you are going to get past his same nature. And the guilt that Adam had was inherited because he sinned as a representative of the human race. His guilt was now inherited by all mankind. Are you hearing me tonight? What this means is that God looked into the future, knew that we would exist, and began thinking of us as those... This is powerful. Began thinking of the human race as those that were in Adam. You say, that's not fair. Because I never did nothing. So I'm guilty before I didn't do nothing. Well, let me ask you a question. Was God wrong? No. What do you mean by that, Brother Palmer? Well, if he imputed guilt to you, did you do something wrong? Yes. Well, then there it is. He was right. You're automatically going to be guilty because there's no way that you're going to escape it. And God's outside of time. And so he saw that and said, you know what? My people are going to sin. And so I have to start seeing them. Everybody as an offspring of Adam. We all black, white, Asian, yellow, doesn't matter, Alaskan, Eskimo, uh, albino, Brazilian, Anarchians, whatever you call them. We're all people of Adam. We're family, sister. Yeah, we go back to Adam. Thousands of years ago. We go back to Adam. And God says they're all children of Adam. They're all guilty. Every last one is guilty. So you inherit the guilt. And so... If you think this is unfair, 
you won't think it's unfair when you find out that when Jesus Christ came, anybody that would receive Him and be born of His birth saw the whole world in Christ righteous. Are you here? I want to, I want, you know, my way of preaching, I like to make it super bad. I like to darken the scene and show you the prevailing of evil until I show you righteousness, bust through and fine. Amen. Is that okay? That's, that's heavy preaching, Brother Paul. That's heavy preaching. No, 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 no. We need to see how bad this mess was. It's going to have a good ending. This is, this is not like a bad ending, like those movies where you're disappointed that the hero doesn't win. This is a good ending. Amen. Are we here tonight? Someone say, preach. Okay, I'll preach. Amen. Okay, Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Psalm chapter 51. This is David. So you are in sin. Sin originated with Adam. We can safely assume that if we were Adam, we'd done the same thing. Disobeyed and rebelled against God. Now we have inherited guilt. Me, Jordan, Brad, everyone here. Guilt inheritors. And then, if that's not bad enough, let's see what else the Bible says. Psalm chapter 51 and verse 5. If you're there, say amen. amen. Let me get there. <laughs> Psalm 51. Verse number 5. Behold, this is David talking. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Do you know this kind of language is talking about? This is treacherous language. No hope that when my mom conceived me, when my dad Jesse conceived me, sin was passed to me. Shaping is not talking about clay on a potter's wheel. It's talking about sperm meeting the egg in conception. This is before he was born, which means that life in the Word of God is not when you're born. It's before you're born. That's why when you're pregnant, you should pray over your child. Yeah. You should sing songs over your child. You should consider yourself a mother the moment you find out you've conceived. Mm -hmm. Amen. Because your responsibility as a parent. Do you know why God has given parents? For many reasons. But do you know what the number one reason is? Because He sees that every person born was born with a propensity to want to rebel against God. And a parent's job is not to spoil your kids. A parent's job is not to talk about how cute your kids is and dress your kids up in, you know, Nikes and Air Jordans. Your responsibility as a parent is to teach your kid you need a Savior. And I've received the Savior. But have you received the Savior? Do you know Jesus? Who's the Savior, Mom? Who's the Savior, Dad? His name is Jesus. And this is why you need a Savior. Because you will die in your sins without Him. You mean a baby? They're so cute. You can't say a baby. Yes, if the kid gets to an age where he has the intelligence to know the gospel and reject it, who are you to say that kid can have fellowship with God and go to heaven? He said, but the age, listen to this, the heart of a human being is eternal and does not have age to it. So you might see a sexual rejecting God. 
and think he just doesn't know, but he may reject him because his heart is not six years old. Are you here tonight? That's why a parent's greatest responsibility is to teach their kid how to fear God. That's why you don't put on movies and the television that defy God. Music that defies God. Why? Because you're feeding that child's sinful nature and giving it fuel to want to do more. And you want to give the kid something that makes its sinful nature feel conflicted. Other words, my parents tell me about Jesus. When your kid goes to school, and all the kids, and they're starting early this year. I mean, they're starting early, and young kids, are they're doing bad things in kindergarten now. That's why I have to preach it this way. 20 years ago when I was in, in kindergarten, I think it was 20, I can't remember, 25. We didn't have all the bad things, and I wouldn't say it this way, but now we have to say, they need to know, I cannot do this. This is wrong. I cannot look at this stuff. This is wrong. I cannot talk this way. This is wrong. It displeases God, right? I remember when I was young, I was not, I knew about Jesus. I was born in a Christian family. I know about God. I don't understand why I did this. I will never forget it as long as I live. It was my epiphany that something inside of me, I had a loving mom, I had a loving dad, I went to church and knew all this, but there was something inside of me that was ugly and rotten and downright sinister. I was outside on a summer day, it was evening, about 7.30, sun was going down, maybe 8.30, sun was going down, my mom was getting ready to take me inside to go to bed, and she was talking to the neighbor across the street. And I had a stick that I had broken off from the tree, about this thick in size, about this long. And there was a couple, a young couple, probably my age now, maybe 25, 30, walking with their kid in the stroller. And I don't know why I did this. I took the stick and threw it at them. <laughs> just took it and wow. I wasn't trying I was aiming for <laughs> I thought to my I couldn't believe I could not believe I did I thought what am I doing did my mom see it and all of a sudden my mom said did you throw that stick and I said I wasn't aiming for him my mom said, I'll talk to her, it came in, grabbed me by, uh, she was trying to grab me by the shirt, grabbed me by the face, took me, just took me inside, smack, smack, went and got my dad, whap, whap, whap. They didn't have all those rules back then with kids. Well, that's child abuse. No, no, no. My mom's, yeah. Mom used everything she could find. The first thing she could find that was hitting me across my rear end. Extension cords, wooden spoons, everything. You name it, I've been hit with it. Yeah, the good old days. Bamboo sticks, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. See, my mom would see me faking crying when she hit me. Because it wouldn't hurt. And she'd see me fake crying, you know what she would do? She'd go get my dad. <laughs> I used to try my hardest to cry real, make a good, do a good acting job of it. You know what my mom said to me? What if that stick would have hit that kid? 
get those people. You'd be in jail. Oh, no, I don't want to go to jail. I'm only six. <laughs> I'll never get married. <laughs> Remember, I thought to myself, what's wrong with me? i never forget it. I thought to myself, what is wrong with me? No one told me I was born with a sinful nature. No one told I remember that I broke the neighbor's sprinkler system. Took my bike over it because I thought it was, I was trying to act like a movie. There's a movie where there's a dirt bike going through a water fountain, something like that. And I was trying to do that and I broke it. You know what I tried to do? Hide it. She said, did you break this? I says, no. No, I didn't break this. <laughs> who broke it? I don't know who was like this when I got here. Lying, like seven years old. Sinister. But something in me was not cute. It was evil. And if I did not deal with it, you don't know what that thing would have done. That saint, listen, listen, this is powerful, this is powerful truth. I'm going to take it to the extreme. Are you guys here tonight? Yeah. The same thing in me that caused me to throw the stick at the children, that child, is the same thing that was inside of Hitler that caused him to kill six million Jews. You say, you can't say that. Yes, I can. Because it depends on what gets a hold of you that determines how far you go with that thing. You have certain civil governments, you have certain rules, you have certain restraints, those things get a hold of you, and guess what? It keeps you from doing that. But if the wrong thing gets a hold of you, it can take it and stretch it to a limit that you don't know exists and you don't want to know exists. That's true. In other words, I thank God for Jesus. But before it could grow, it died. Hello, somebody. Before it could grow, it died. And you want to know something? The Bible talks about, I'm going to talk about this next week, those who are saved and those who are being saved. In other words, your salvation is something that you have, but it's something you maintain. And so that means sanctification is continual process of dying to it daily. My brother's been killed. No, 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 no. He's been killed but it stays killed. Hello, somebody. Are you getting something on this tonight? My God. So you say, God, how can I pray for my son? I pray my son be big time football player. No, no, no. Before you start praying all that stuff, that's good. I hope my son's football player. Or basketball. Probably basketball. I don't know basketball. But before I start praying that, you know what I say? God, let him see how evil the thing is inside of him and let him die. Amen. Am I preaching too much for you? Am I, am I preaching too much in your face tonight? Okay. So, you also had this problem with you. You lacked spiritual good before God when you were in sin. This means that your intellect, this is Titus 1.15. Go with me there real quick. Come on, somebody say amen. This is getting too, this is getting too stiff in here tonight. I'm going to get a keyboard in here and make you say amen with it. <laughs> Titus chapter 1 and verse 15. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. 
So, when you were in sin, you lacked spiritual good before God. That means you had nothing good spiritually to offer God. And in your actions, you were totally unable to do spiritual good before God. So this means, because you lacked any ability to do spiritual good. Go read John 15.5. Let me show you what I mean. John 15.5. I gotta just, I need to see this point tonight. Are you learning something tonight? Jordan, you learning something? John 15 verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him the same brings forth much fruit. And here's what I want you to see. This is so powerful. This is, this is, this is the crux of our salvation. It's the crux of what we stand before God. Without me, without me, without me, you can do nothing. This means without God, you could have never initiated your salvation with Him. You could not go to him and say, God, I need to... He'd say, is someone talking to me? Because I don't hear no one talking to me. Because God is a holy God. And when man sinned, you know what he did? He looked and he turned the other way. And said, I cannot set my face before mankind. Because they're unholy. And for me to be a holy God, I cannot be approached by unholy people. Otherwise... They'll accuse me for being unholy. So, if you're writing notes, take this down. For God to maintain who He is, had to turn His face from who we became. Have you started to see how bad sin is yet? So, this is the conclusion of this. All people, all people are without Jesus. Simple. No exceptions. Psalm 143.2 1 Kings 8.46 You feel like you're in class tonight. That's what this is. This is Bible class. This is Bible class. Okay. Now I've heard people, I want to say this. This has a purpose for me putting in this study tonight. Because this is a question that gets asked all the time. And there's a very different purpose because I want to see the seriousness of sin. Many times people will ask me, as a pastor, they will say, Pastor, Reverend, Evangelist, Minister, are there different degrees of sin? Because this is what people say. I saw someone put this on Instagram the other day, and I wanted to shred them, but I don't do that on Facebook or social media. I just smile at people and say, come on my Bible study. They say, do not judge me because I sin differently than you. <laughs> In other words, you could just safely assume this person is doing all sorts of mess wrong and getting tired of hearing about it. What they're doing wrong. Do not judge me because I sin differently from you. And you know what? You know what Christians will do? Applaud the person. 
Amen. We're all sinners. <laughs> We're all sinners. Oh my God, I just can't tell you. I'm a sinner. No, you are not a sinner. Saved by grace. You are saved by grace. Adopted into the family of God, of the righteousness of the kingdom. Invited to sit into the inheritance with God. You're no longer a sinner. You're dead to sin. Get over this business about you sinning differently. Why are we exalting sin? Have you not died to what Jesus came for you yes. to be free? Hallelujah. Some people say, well, you know, sin is sin. They use this argument in the homosexual community. Well, brother, I'll tell you what. You can't judge me as a homosexual. Have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah, I did, I did tell a lie. I, I remember one time I, I told people I was going out and I couldn't hang out with them. I stayed home and watched TV. Well, then you lied. And guess what? Sin is sin, so you're no better than the homosexual, the adulterer, the fornicator, or the murderer. And you sit there and you say, huh? You may have a point, you know, sin is sin. You guys are looking at me like I'm talking Spanish. No, no, we're waiting. You're waiting? waiting. Oh my God, well, I'm waiting to answer. So is all sin sin, or is there different degrees of sin? Well, it's quite easy, actually, to explain. In terms of legal standing with God, you have your Bible, Genesis 2.17, Romans 5.16. Go to Romans 5.16. I want to show you this because the answer is no and the answer is yes. I want us to understand what we've been delivered from. In Romans chapter 5, verse 16. It says, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So in other words, let me explain to you what Paul was saying. Paul said that all it took was one sin of disobedience for God to turn his face from mankind. Doesn't matter what that sin was, whether it eat from a tree or lie or whatever it was, it means that just one act of disobedience on anybody's part was punishable by death. Okay? So in that sense, sin is sin. However, in terms of your personal relationship with God and in your interpersonal relationships with other people, there are different degrees of sin. Do you hear what I said? Some sins are worse in that they have more harmful consequences in your life, in the lives of others, and they do more damage to your relationship with God than other sins. Some sins, we're going to see in just a second, will arouse God's displeasure more and bring more serious disruption in your life to him. Well, all sin is sin. No. One sin is enough for God to turn his face from you. But there are different degrees of sin. Well, you're going to have to prove that scripturally. Ezekiel 8. Let me show you. Let me show you. Is this okay for me to teach this tonight? Yeah. Ezekiel chapter 8. Because I don't like that. No, no, no. Let me say this. This doesn't give you the right. To say, well, see, it's not a bad sin, I'm going to commit it. No, because you'll displease God. I was listening to someone tell the story of a person this week who started doing something small and getting away with it. And it led to addiction 
that got them into serious trouble. Because sin never wants to be satisfied. It will always go deeper. Okay. Ezekiel chapter 8, verse number... Um, Ezekiel 8, verse number 13. He said unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Not greater in number, greater in the kind of abomination that they're doing. Are you seeing this? Verse number 16. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, well, actually, no, no, 15, excuse me. Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this? O son of man, turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see. Here he is. Greater abominations than these. So, go with me here to John chapter 19. Let me show you. Now, this is an interesting point. John 19. I'll be done in a half hour. John 19, verse 11. Pilate is delivering Jesus up. He's about to crucify him. Pilate says, Do you not know I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus said, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given to thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me, Judas, unto thee hath the greater sin. So what he's saying is, the person that delivered me to you was Judas. You don't know me, Pilate. The only thing you know about me is that your wife had a dream to leave me alone. You're a judge, you're going to crucify me, and you're going to sin. Because I'm the Messiah, and you're going to kill me. But you haven't walked with me for a long time. You didn't weren't with me in the Mount of Olives. You weren't with me when I gave the Beatitudes. You weren't with me when I raised the dead. So the person that's been with me longer and has had less ignorance has committed a greater sin by turning me over than you are by turning me over. I'll give you an example. Joe Smith comes in. Gets saved. Gets born again. He comes to the altar. He's saved. I want to be saved. I want to be born again. He comes down to the altar. He gets saved. He gets born again. And then, you know, you find him out two nights tomorrow night at the bar, Friday night. He goes in to tell people about Jesus. And all of a sudden someone says something to him. He gets in a bar fight. Right? Mm -hmm. Ends up in a police car. And on the news. Not good. Is that sin? Of course. But let's say Reverend Palmer goes into a bar and gets in a bar fight and gets put in a police car. Let me ask you a question. Which of these has done more damage to the gospel? Me? This is why James say that those who teach, that those who teach, what do you say? Be more careful. Because guess what? They will have the greater judgment. Not because they're teachers, but because they have more, excuse me, they have less ignorance and less excuse for doing the iniquity before God. Because I walk with Jesus for so long, 
because Jesus or anybody, not just me, because the Holy Spirit has shed a greater amount of light in my heart that gives me less reason to sin. And therefore, when I do something stupid, if I do something stupid, that is greater damage to the gospel. Are you here? Okay, go with me to Numbers chapter 15. Let me show you this. I think this is good. I like this teaching, man. I say this Bible class. So, when you walk with God, when you are ministering before God, be mindful that you're held to great responsibility. Numbers 15, 27. Now look at this. This is how God is dealing with Israel according to the law. And if any soul sin, verse number 27, number 15. And if any soul sin through ignorance. Someone say ignorance. Then he shall bring a she-goat of the first of the year for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly. When he sins by ignorance before the Lord to make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven. Verse number 29. Ye shall have one law for him that sins through ignorance. But look at verse number 30. A clear-cut <coughs> distinction. But the soul that doeth aught presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reports of the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among the people. Other scripture talks about people sinning with a stiff neck. Or they talk about it with a high hand. This means people. There's some people that just say they just keep on cussing. Don't know there's anything wrong with it. They just got a potty mouth and God has to work with them. And God has understanding because they don't know a lot of things. And you have to be patient with those people. And that's what requires discipling. You cannot grow a person until you disciple that person. And when people come into the knowledge of the truth, you have to be patient with that person. They may not give up certain things right away. And God works with that person to a certain point. But a person that sins in ignorance, God said, I have mercy for you. You're growing. And whom a father loveth, he chasteneth. God said, you can't keep doing that. It's going to get you in trouble. Stop it. Then there's somebody, you know what they do? They sin in outright defiance of God. In other words, I'm going to do this because I am a God hater. And I dislike you, God. I'll give you an example. How many, I wasn't alive this during this time, you remember what John Lennon said? We're bigger than Jesus. Dead. Billy Graham, this is a true story, look it up. Billy Graham approached Marilyn Monroe. Yeah? Went to Marilyn Monroe and told her, you need Jesus. Uh, tried to preach to her in a way that Billy Graham would. And she said, and I quote, I don't need your Jesus. And she died a week later in her apartment, according to my source. This is the buying God. Do not think that this Austin is sin. This is a greater sin. Are you here, guys? And so, if we categorize all sin as sin, this breeds in the church an attitude that says this. Well, Austin is sin. You know, well, Austin is sin. That means because... They sin, I sin, we all sin, right? Well, first of all, that's the wrong perspective of sin. You're not supposed to just go around sinning every day. They say that you're sinning every day. 
But people say, you know what? Austin is sin, so we shouldn't meddle in Brother Joe's business. We couldn't meddle in Sister, Sister Sally's business because Austin is sin and we're all sinners and we just can't meddle in business. No, 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 no. Sometimes, even though you may have said a lie or done something, you still have to put resolve to certain situations that happen. Because some sin in the church has to be dealt with publicly. Yeah. It has to be put to a stop because some things you can overlook. Some company, you know, um, Brother Palmer, Pastor Palmer, um, Joe Smith told a lie. Did he? What did he say? So he told me that he was coming to my house for the Super Bowl party and never showed up. <laughs> he liar now. Brother Palmer, he's a liar. And, you know, he told another lie the other day. He said that he had, he was worth, you know, X amount of dollars and we found out he's not really worth that much. <laughs> I'm not gonna get it for whatever. You handle it. But someone come to me and say, Brother Palmer, Joe Smith, fornicating with all the women in church. Now I step in. Because he is tearing people's lives apart doing that. You see the difference? Am I right or am I crazy? So they're all different. Okay. Are you still with me tonight? Okay, what happens with a Christian sentence? What happens if a Christian says? 1 John 3, verse 2. Go with me there, real quick. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 2. Jordan, are you there tonight? Yes, sir. All right, good. 1 John chapter... Actually, 2, verse 3. Well, verse number... Let's go to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse from all unrighteousness. Radical grace teachers will tell you that this is talking about, you know, you, this is talking about Gnostics. No, 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 this is being written to Christians. This is not being written. This is, first of all, non, he's not writing. His audience he's writing to is not non-Christians. This was sent to Christian church. And they were going to get it were Christians that read it. And he's saying, let us, the context and subject of this is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from righteousness. That means we're the same. I am not an us with the world. Amen. This is addressing Christians who mess up. And it says, and he is the perpetuation, chapter 2, verse 3, for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. When a Christian sins, because it's possible for a Christian to sin, your legal status before God is unchanged. Because you make a shortcoming. You fall. You do something you shouldn't do. You mess up. I'm not going to be one of these people that say you lose your salvation right away. Your legal status before God unchanged. You're still justified. Still righteous. But you need to ask God for forgiveness. Do you know why? Because you have offended His commandment. You've offended God. My dad told me, go take the trash out. When I was a kid, I don't go take the trash out. I stayed playing video games. You didn't take the trash out. I asked you to take the trash out. You didn't take the trash out. You think that my dad would expect me to say, I'm sorry, Dad, I'm going to take the trash out? Of course, because when you say you're sorry, it shows God your heart. Why don't you want God to see that you're sorry for what you did wrong? And if you offend somebody, you're supposed to go to that person and say, I'm sorry because I've offended you. Quite simple, people. Amen? So, 
when a Christian sins, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says that you grieve the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. And many times when an unbeliever sins, it causes you to displease God and it requires discipline from the Lord. People say, well, God loves me so much, He wouldn't discipline me. No, 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 no. God loves you so much, He would discipline you. And you know what that discipline many times means? Sometimes you're going to miss out on opportunities. And guess what? Sometimes those opportunities are not going to come around again. You say, well, that pastor sinned. He had a moral failure and he lost his ministry. Him losing his ministry could have been God's discipline to save his soul. Him losing his leadership position is discipline so you don't end up in eternal separation to Almighty God. You having to spend 15 years in prison might be God's discipline so you don't have to spend eternity in hell. Are you here, church? As a Christian, when a Christian sins, this is one of the biggest tragedies. And this is why we don't practice sin as believers. This is it. Fruitfulness in your Christian walk is disrupted. Hello? Man, you guys are quiet. Come on, smile. Fruitfulness is disrupted. Do you know why? Because quite simply, sin is destructive. It destroys, and I like to say this, I always say this, sin is always your worst Amen. Especially as a believer. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11. I'm teaching better than you guys are saying amen tonight. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11. I'm going to teach one more point on sin. We're going to get to the good stuff and I'll have you out of here early tonight. I got 15 minutes. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Dearly beloved, dearly beloved. Look who he's writing to. Dearly beloved, the believers. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshy lust, which wage war against your soul. This is using military terms to describe sinful desires like soldiers in battle. Here you are, your salvation. The thing God has bought for you. Your mind, and more specifically, your imagination. You know you have an imagination. I talk about this in my book. And the enemy is trying to get a hold of your imagination because that is your control center. And if he can get you to imagine something, he can get you to act on the thing that you imagine because your imagination is your cognizant mind thinking in pictures. And those pictures will eventually come to pass. And the enemy is targeting your imagination. And it's like soldiers coming into battle with AK-47s and guns. And they say, who are you hunting, man? Who are you hunting? They're not hunting Al-Qaeda. Qaeda. They're not hunting ISIS. You know what they're hiding, hunting? They're hunting your soul. And they are trying to capture your imagination. You know what the enemy does? He comes into your imagination about what people think about you. He might come to me and say, you know, Chris, you've been training Jordan. Jordan doesn't appreciate you. Jordan doesn't even like you. And Jordan's going to turn on you one day. 
<laughs> Thanks. One person thinks it's true. Good. <laughs> so the enemy comes in, surround their imagination. And all of a sudden, I start thinking, you know, Jordan and I, he's going to turn on me one day. I think he's going to turn on me. Do you know what I start doing to Jordan? Treating him bad. Treating me. Do you know what's happened now in my mind? Irrational thinking. Pseudo reality that causes me to enter into sin and not only uh, not only sin against God unrighteously sin against this innocent person now I've offended God and I've offended Jordan because I have judged Jordan not based upon his heart based upon Satan's warring against Happens all the time in the church. I've been in places before where people think their spouses are cheating on all sorts of people. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's called jealousy. All of a sudden, the guy is just doing something, you know, and all of a sudden, the girl comes in and she says, oh, You're so silly. Woman sees it and thinks her husband's not having an affair. Don't think that happens? Happens all the time, and you have to straighten it out as a counselor. What has happened? The enemy's come in, his soldiers have come in, a troop, found that person's soul, and waged war against it. And now it's going to create sin. Are you here? Alright, can I talk about the unpardonable sin real quick? Is that okay? The unpardonable sin. You ready for this? Alright, I'm going to address this. Because many times people say to me, you know, Brother Palmer, I, uh, you know, I, I think I, I think I sinned the unpardonable sin. Guys, come on, don't be so cool. Enjoy this service tonight. Amen? Amen? They say, you know, I think, go with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12. We're like in Bible class tonight. Matthew 12. I want people to be skilled and sharp. Amen? Matthew chapter 12. And verse number 31. Wherefore I say unto you, this is Jesus talking, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven, neither in this world or in the world to come. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Let me show you. Because I get people asking me this question all the time. Did I sin? And I've seen people get to a point in their life where they're so distressed, they're so burdened, they are oppressed because they think that they have done something that God cannot forgive them. Am I the only person that's ever encountered someone that says, I think I committed the unpardonable sin, brother? Have you ever, Jordan, find someone that thinks they sin a sin of death? I'm going to talk to you about it tonight. Hebrews chapter 6. For it's impossible. Someone say impossible. impossible. For those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they have crucified themselves, the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. What is going on inside of Matthew chapter 12? This is what the unpardonable sin is. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. 
This is what it is. Are you ready? This is it. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You can look up all the theology you want. This is really what it is. It is malicious. Pay attention to the words now. Because these words matter. What I'm telling you, I'm describing it. Not wasting words. Malicious, willful rejection and slander against the Holy Spirit's work. Not gifts of the Spirit. Some people slander the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not saying that. Attesting to Christ and attributing Christ to Satan. But let me show you why. Because it's more than just that. Are you here, guys? Are you here? Please say you're here. Okay, in this chapter, when Jesus brought this up, something happened. Okay? The Pharisees had just seen a miraculous occurrence. They had seen some ministry of the Holy Spirit that was so powerful, so convincing. You have to be a fool to say this is not the Holy Spirit. You remember I told you sin is irrational? Remember I said that? They attributed a demon-possessed person being delivered to the work of Satan. That is irrational because Jesus said a kingdom divided against itself shall not stand. So how can Satan cast out Satan? So it proved the sin in their heart. Which means that after this happened, there was in the unpardonable sin a degree of irrationality to it. That means you see something about Jesus Christ being God's Son that is so convincing that your heart is convicted. You hear a preacher get up and preach and your heart says, yes, I need Jesus. And it may not happen once. It may happen over a course of 13 years in a person's life where they say, I need Jesus, I need Jesus, I need Jesus. And their mind is convinced of it. Their heart is convinced of it. Their inner man is convinced of it. Everything inside of them says, come out of your sin. Come out of your wickedness. Come out of it. But you say, no. I will not do it. Because in this scripture, it talks about people who have been enlightened. That means, so you don't need to have Jesus. Someone asked me this week, they said, does it doesn't mean you have to have Jesus standing before you? No, no, no. You don't have to have him standing before you. Because the Jews in the church at Rome, in uh, Hebrews 6, didn't have Jesus standing before them. They probably would have never met Jesus. But they hardened their heart toward the evident convicting work of the Holy Spirit that has for years, because God is patient, told them, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. And so, the unpardonable sin is not the sin itself that's so horrible that it could not be covered by Christ's redemptive work. So it's not the sin itself. It's not God says, oh, <laughs> they rejected me, that's all, I can't forgive that. That's not it. Rather, it's the sinner's hardened heart that puts them beyond the reach of God's ordinary means to bring them to redemption. Mm. It's not that God can't forgive it. 
It's that their heart is in such a hardened position, they'll never be able to receive forgiveness. Are you hearing me? So it's not, the unpardonable sin is not something that God has said, I just can't forgive that. It's that you'll never be in a position to receive God's forgiveness. And so it wasn't necessarily that they slandered the Holy Ghost. It was that it was their heart was so hard and it got to that point and God said, oh, you're never going to get saved. Because your heart now is so rebellious, you're irrational, and there's nothing I could ever do to get that out. Are you getting this? Are you seeing this? So do you know what that means? I say this to tell you this. If you're worried, you committed it. That shows your heart is tender before yeah. Almighty yeah. God. Yeah. That shows that you still actually care yeah. about God. Yeah. You say, God, I don't want to commit to unpardonable sin. Jesus, forgive me. God says, oh, you care. You care about me. You care about being in a relationship with me. A person that commits it, don't care. Don't want to care. Never going to care. And God has seen that and says, this person don't care. They commit unpardonable sin because their heart's hard. But your heart is tender. That's why I say, God, I need a tender heart before you. Make my heart tender before you, God. When someone said to me one time, they said, I think you're tender. I see the way you worship. You must, when you do something wrong, repent right away. I said, you have no idea. When I do something wrong, I say, God, forgive me for doing that. God, Forgive me! Because I can't stand to be outside of my relationship with you. I can't stand it, God. I need you, God. If there's greed in my heart, get it out. If there's pride in my heart, get it out. If there's slander in my heart, take it from me, God. And make my heart sensitive before you. A person that commits to unpardonable sin wouldn't think that way. You ready for the good news tonight? Go with me to Romans 8.30. We'll end. Someone say, he's merciful. This is the part that I preached for an hour just to get to this part. Thank you for enduring the doctrine of sin so we can get to this part. Are you ready? To say salvation is blanketing the work of Christ for us. Nothing wrong with salvation. Go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Nothing wrong with saying salvation. The Bible Greek word is sozo. It means to save. It means to deliver in many cases. But when you just say, I'm, I've been saved. I've been saved. I've been saved. How many have been saved? Raise your hand. Amen. Been saved. Been saved. What does that mean? People say, well, I'm going to heaven. Amen. But you just say, I'm saved. You're sweeping all the good stuff under the rug. I remember my cousin Justin when we were young. You know what he used to do with his pizza? He used to take, I like, you know, when I go out for pizza, I like everything on it. They say, what do you want on your pizza? I just say, no onions and everything else. Put it on there. <laughs> they call it a, I like that too. They call it supreme pizza. He used to take all the cheese and the toppings and pull it off the pizza and eat just the bread. And my dad one time said to him, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing that? He said, I don't like this stuff. Then you like bread, you don't like pizza. Why are you taking all this stuff off? And I'd say, that's fine with me, give it to me, put it on top of mine. I'll take your good stuff. 
<laughs> and when people just say, well, I've been saved, you know what they do? They still saved, but they take all the good stuff and just move it over to the side. And say, I've been saved, I'm going to heaven. Why do you want to just relegate to being saved? Let's talk about all the aspects of being saved. Because it's more than just being going to heaven. It has a lot more to do with that. Yes. I'm going to talk about atonement next week and it's powerful because you're going to see there are different aspects to your atonement in Christ you will find out what it took for Jesus to save you but I want to talk about the very first thing tonight are you ready for this? oh I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait moreover whom he did predestinate them he also called and whom he called he justified and to whom he justified, he glorified. Now, this is going to be about an hour of teaching in 15 minutes. Okay? Um, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Let me show you. The first thing that God did was he predestined you. And I'm not going to get into that discussion. I'll save it. I'm not a Calvinist. I believe that God predestined every man to be saved. But I'm not going to get into that tonight. Because it's too doctrinal and that discussion will go on and on and on into the night. I want to talk to you about calling. Write this down if you're taking notes. The calling where it says, He whom God called is a very, very significant word. In the Greek, I believe, is the verb kaleo, which means to call out with a loud voice. This is not a powerless human calling. This is not the calling of a preacher preaching the gospel. This is not me getting up on my soapbox saying, Hey everybody, Jesus is telling you to get saved. This is not the calling I'm talking about. This is, if you're taking notes, write this down, a summons. A heralding from the king of the universe that you offended. You offended the king through sin. A holy God that has warned you to sin. And you did it. And you have lived in darkness. Separation. Fear. Torment. Recipient and perfect candidate for his wrath. And you were like a sheep on his way to slaughter, head about to be put on the chopping block. God having every reason to cut her off. On death row. And that king calls your name. Damar. Jordan, how's it feel when you get called? Mm. Call your name. Didn't just call your called out to all humanity. <clears throat> and the very first thing that he did was in this summons, it could have been a call to die, could have been a call to pay the punishment. But the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, for he called you of darkness. So everything I just showed you, the sin, the separation, the degrees of consequence that you were going to face, the king of the universe called you out of darkness. 
it says that He called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. And so when you say that I've been saved, you know what the first thing you're saying is? I am a called one. Hello, somebody. You know why I treat my brothers in Christ with such respect? Because I know that He called you. He called you, Sister Nina. He called you, Brittany. He called you, George. He called all of us. I remember one time I was a young man. And I was at <clears throat> Nickelodeon Studios in Orlando, Florida. And they put names in or something. Who was going to be the contestant in the audience to get slime? And I'm just sitting there. Chris Palmer. I said, huh? <laughs> Me? Gonna get slime to Me? No, he got me mistaken. <laughs> they said, no, you go on the back and get changed there, young buck. <laughs> then they said, at the end of the show, we're going to call you out. Just go out there and sit Indian style. Let us slime you. I said, okay. They said, Chris Palmer going to get slime from, from Farmington Hills, Michigan. I come walking out there. I'm going to call him one. Put me down. They slime me. You know what afterwards? I came walking out. Everyone, what's it like to get slime? How was it like getting slime? What was it? Oh, man, you're so lucky you got called. What was it like? I said, no, it's no big deal. You know, I just got slime. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They said it's edible. Yeah, it tastes like applesauce. You know, no big deal. I mean, no big deal. The whole day I was walking on air. I'm going to call one. That's what you have to know. In salvation, you've been called by God. You walk into the gym. Everyone's got big muscles. You've been called by God. Where's my significance? My significance was I was in judgment and God called me. 1 Corinthians 1 9 is what it says. He has invited you into partnership with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This isn't just God saying He invited you, it's invited saying all the saints in the family of God have been invited to partnership with you. Do you see the language that the New Testament writers are using in this? They're saying that not only did He call you out of darkness, it would have been enough for Him to call me out of darkness. He's saying that He has invited you into a partnership. What kind of God is this? What kind of God who you offended? turns towards you and says, you know what, I'm calling you out of this darkness. I'm going to invite you into a partnership with me. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12 says, For He called you to share? You mean like in business where you have stocks, like in Ford or whatever you have uh, stock in, you have shares of stock in that company? He invited you. You Share something with the Creator and God of the universe. You ever share something with somebody? Cut it in half. Half for you, big half for me, right? Or what was it that we were gonna? Somebody, you know, we were gonna share something. It was like some something we were gonna. I think an Xbox. Me and my, me and my roommate one time we were gonna buy an Xbox and share it. It's half. Here's a hundred. Here's my hundred. And let's uh, let's share it. You know, the only problem is who gets it at the end when we go our separate ways. Fifty percent ownership. God has given you to share something with Him. This is not. So so it says. What are those things that you're gonna share? In? This is so powerful. This is so powerful. So powerful. 
this is, I need, I, listen, I know this is not necessarily applicable tonight, but it's so applicable. This is your heritage, your salvation. It's what you've been born into. It's what you've come out of. It's why you worship. Listen, these are the things in Scripture. I want to say this. When you start to pray in the Holy Ghost, when you start to minister before God, when you start to worship before God, these are the things He's going to reveal to you. His job is not to come in here and start backing your big plans. His job is to reveal to you everything that is yours in Christ Jesus. When I started praying in the Spirit, I started seeing little of my ambition being prayed out and more of everything He's done for me. And it started being that thing that started securing my peace for me. It started being that thing that started giving my identity. Because you start praying in the Spirit and praying because you think that getting all the stuff you want and fulfilling all your dreams are going to give to you your identity and that's not what he did for you in Christ Jesus is going to give you the identity and the more you know about it and the more he reveals to you concerning that thing you know what will happen? your identity will come Whew. and out of those come songs come worship come power when you start praying for the sick and you start doing it as a called one what makes you think you can pray for somebody like that? he called me into partnership with him what makes you think you can tell someone about Jesus with that kind of assurance? Because I share in His kingdom and His glory. I'm His son. Wish I had a piano right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. What did, he, what did He call me to share? He called me. You know, we have people today, they want everything, but they don't know what's theirs. He called you to share in His kingdom. And I've talked about the kingdom here before, but he also called us to share in his glory. We know what that means. People think, well, that means, brother, it's just, you know, I'm going to walk around with a beam of light following me. Mm. No, that would pale in comparison to what that really means. And that means that you're going to have a glorified body that can walk through walls mm. and do everything he did. You see how this gospel plan comes full circle? My God. Are you starting to see the mercy of God in calling you? Okay, listen to this real quick. And then he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, called to be His own holy people. God has called you to be His own holy people. And so now, as a believer in Christ Jesus, as somebody that's been born again and called by God, I've been called to these great and precious promises. Why wouldn't you want salvation? Why wouldn't you want Jesus? Why wouldn't you want to be a part of this plan? When I look at the world, I say, my God, Jesus. Jesus used me. So now there are two types of callings. There is the effective calling of God. And I call it effective because when God calls a person and a person hears it and responds, that calling is effective. And then there is also human calling. And God's effective calling comes through human calling. So in order for you to hear what God is saying, how shall they believe unless one is sent? And how shall be one sent unless God sends them? And it goes on before that to say that in order for them to hear and have faith, they need a preacher. In order for them to be called, they have to hear their call, and a preacher has to do it. So this call of God that's effective comes through me. So the word of a preacher is carnal and is external. The Word of God is divine and is internal. When I preach, 
you will hear me externally saying you need Jesus. But when God calls, your heart will say, go down to that altar. Go repent of your sin. So you have two things working. The preacher preaching and the inner work of God calling. This is the partnership that we have with God. This rich teaching tonight. Yes, it is. And do you know I say, God, thank you, God. Thank you. I deserve death. Why did you do this? Wait, wait, wait. This is the best part. Why did you do this? Why did you do this? Why did you do this for me? Why did you do this for me? Why did you call me to be part of Why? Why? There's no reason he did it. You mean God did this for no reason? There's only one reason. It's not because you're anybody. It's not because he needs you. It's not because you're special. It's not because of there is only one reason. And it goes back to who God is. Love. You mean God loved me for no reason? He loved you because he is. Period. <laughs> Why did he love me? No, no, no. He didn't love you for you. He loved you because of who he is. Let me get this. His love towards you will while you were yet sinners. He loved. Stand to your feet tonight. Now that you've heard the light of today, connect with us. Go to our website, lightoftoday.org. Write us at P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390. Or tweet Chris Palmer at twitter.com forward slash Chris Palmer. Our podcasts are free and updated regularly. So make sure to share them with a friend and tune in again to the light of today with Chris Palmer.